series on the book of Revelation. We haven't even gotten to the first verse yet because it's going to take me several, we- several weeks to uh, lay a foundation. So uh, Wednesday nights we'll be doing that. Every once in a while I'm going to do some uh, teaching on being a leader. How many know if you're a believer, you're a leader? You're a disciple. You're supposed to also be involved in discipling other people. That means leading them. Jesus led his disciples. You lead the people around you into the things of God, and you exemplify what it looks like to walk with Jesus, right? So we'll be doing all that, but in the middle of all that, we're going to go through the book of Revelation. Perhaps we'll finish before Jesus comes back. If not, he'll finish it in heaven. So anyway, this is part two. We've got at least uh, three to four weeks of introduction before we get to verse one. So we're right in the middle of that. And uh, Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 says this. I love this. J.B. Phillips' translation, For God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan, and it is this. He purposed long ago in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven and earth should find its perfection and fulfillment in him. How many know that Jesus is coming back? And um, I, uh, in fact, let me read this before we go any further. Acts 1, I just love this. Right when Jesus ascended there, the Mount of Olives. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. A cloud received him uh, out of their sight. This is Acts 1, 9, verse 10. While they looked steadfastly towards heaven, he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, Uh, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go up into heaven. So Jesus is coming back. Uh, The scriptures are clear that he's coming back, and he's coming back to take possession of what he rightfully owns, and that is this planet. So we've been talking about that. We started that last time Uh, Jesus' second coming. It's really to bring the earth back to its, if I could use a term, its Edenic glory, the the Garden of Eden. Y'all have heard about that in the book of Genesis. It was a beautiful place. There was no curse on the earth. There was was longevity. There was was no death. And uh, life was eternal in human bodies. Well, Jesus' second coming will restore the earth back to all that. We'll once again have fellowship with God. We'll once again have immortal bodies at the resurrection. Are you excited about your new body? That'll be able to appear and disappear uh, like Star Trek stuff, like Jesus did uh, the night of the resurrection uh, day. That night he appeared to the disciples. And then the curse will be removed from the earth. And then Satan will be judged, placed in the lake of fire with all of the fallen angels. And in eternity, we'll go between heaven and earth and have great fellowship with God. That's a biblical worldview. How many are looking forward to all of that coming to pass? So, you know, when I was a boy, I mentioned this, that, you know, the, the life was kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. It just didn't make sense why this happened, why that happened. But when I came to Jesus and began just to read the Bible, it, it just made a lot of sense. And all of the pieces of my jigsaw life jigsaw puzzle that I didn't understand they just begin to fall into place and I had aha moments all the time aha, aha, all the time it's like wow and and when you read the Bible and understand God's plan for humanity you see his great and deep love for us and that's what I hope you get out of this uh, I was reading some time back this couple of years a few years ago and this guy um made a comment, and I want to mention this to you. I'm, one of the reasons I'm starting this series on the book of Revelation now is it, it seems as though we really are in every generation uh, since Jesus resurrected from the dead, believe they are the people that, are, that will see the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, etc. But in an uncanny way, some things have happened 
in our lifetimes, in our generations, those that are old as I at least, uh, we've seen things that have not happened in the last 2,000 years, such as Israel being reformed as a nation for the first time uh, in almost 2,000 years. Israel uh, occupying all of Jerusalem in 1967 in the Six-Day War for the first time in almost 2,000 years, where the prophet said that Israel, which had been scattered all over the earth, would one day come back to their land before Messiah returns. And we could be the generation that, that sees Jesus return to earth. Would that be exciting? Now, you know, part of, can I be real? Part of that's exciting to me, but you know, uh, I took a break this week and I was thinking, you know, I kind of like parts of my life I just kind of enjoy. I just enjoy living on earth. I enjoy being married to Susan. I enjoy being a daddy. I enjoy being a granddaddy. Is that true, Susan? Susan enjoys being a grandma and uh, she enjoys me being her husband. And Right? <laughs> Shake that hand. And I enjoy her being my wife. And, you know, I just enjoy life. And How many hear what I'm saying? But, but you know what? It's not to be compared with what's coming. And I was reading, I was telling, I think I was telling Mira earlier, I was reading an article this morning. Uh, there's this guy, uh, and he was a believer. He was looking at this as back in the 18th century, 19th century. And he was looking at this big house in Europe. This guy had a big old opulent house, just huge He's going through the contents of it. So many rooms, so huge. And this, this man was, was a believer. He left the house that was owned by another Christian. And he wrote down, he said, boy, this guy's going to have a really hard time leaving all this behind to go to heaven. His heart is so attached to all of this. And y'all, it's a time for our hearts not to be attached to now. It's a time for us to be looking for our future, looking for Jesus to come back. And, you know, it, it really takes, a, it takes a, a mental adjustment to do that. How many of them say we're so accustomed, we're busy, we're living life, we're raising our kids, we're, you know, we've got our career, we're doing things that we need to do and we should be faithful to do we, and, and just being upright citizens and being believers. But you know what? Don't forget that one day Jesus is coming back. Don't be so tied to now that you forget that God's got some things in our future that cannot be compared to the grandest day in this life. Is that exciting? So uh, anyway, I was reading this other book, and uh, this guy mentioned, here's where I think we are. He mentioned, I never thought about this. I said, man, that's really cool. So um, a word he used was an intertestamental period of time uh, when Jesus came. Uh, when Jesus resurrected, the church age began, the book of Acts uh, started, and there was a period of time of 30, maybe 40 years, a generation, where, where the Old Testament saints and the Christians, people who became believers after Jesus rose from the dead, they had to get accustomed to dealing with God in a different way. There were no longer Jewish sacrifices, but some people still did Jewish sacrifices because that's what mama did, grandmama did. Great grandmama did, father, grandfather, great, you know, saying, and uh, so so they had all these commonalities, and they had to they had to understand the changes and to read through the book of Acts, and 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 it was a real struggle and challenge for the early church to understand the new thing God did in Christ for us, and it took not just one or two years. It took decades for that to happen. Does that make sense? You ever thought about this? It? Really interesting, isn't it? Now now here's where I think we are. We're in the in the era of time just prior to Jesus coming back. We've been living in the age of grace, and we preach a gospel of the grace of God. At some point, I'm, I'm going to start having to change a little bit, start talking about the 
the gospel of the kingdom of God. Because the world is changing. And the world is coming now from where we have been all these almost 2,000 years of the church age. Grace, the grace of God. It Come as you are. Come just as you are and humble yourself before God and He will cleanse you in Christ. That's been our message. It's the grace of God that saves us. But we're entering into a period of time. We're going from the dispensation of grace, if you're a dispensationalist, to the dispensation of divine judgment. Where God writes all of the wrongs. Where He makes everything right. Where He cleanses the earth of the catastrophe called sin and the curse. And He makes it right. And to do that, there must come a period of judgment where God judges his enemies. And for those of us who are, are, have so welcomed the grace of God, the grace of God will still continue. But right alongside that, we're, we're entering into an age of judgment. So that means you'll probably in the years to come see things you've never seen before. Already in America, we've had catastrophic storms and, and things. And we'll see more of those kinds of geologic changes, uh, weather uh, climactic weather events, uh, social issues that will continue to, uh, to spiral seemingly out of control before Jesus comes back. And, because we're in, and that's not just here, but worldwide. Because we're entering into an, an age of divine judgment where Jesus is coming back to right every wrong. He's not coming back as a, as a lamb for the slaughter. He's coming back as a lion the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's coming to slay his enemies and make things right. So it's really an interesting time. So we're, going to, we're talking about all that last week. We talked about three classifications of people that, that are on planet Earth according to the Bible. Uh, we've got over 20 nations in our church, but God sees only three classifications of people regardless of where you're from. Jews, and that's the original race that God made a covenant with. We'll see tonight through Abraham. Uh, Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. That's a non-Jewish person. And we were not a people. We had no claims on God. There were no covenants that God made with people like me. I'm not a Jewish person uh, by descent. But God grafted uh, Gentiles into the family tree via the new birth. Is that exciting? And then there is, thirdly, the church of God. And so we talked about that last week. This week, I want to cover four things I can do this fairly quickly. If you understand this, then there's rhyme and reason to the Bible, and you'll understand why God's doing the things that He is doing. One thing I want you to get out of the message tonight is that when God makes promises, He always fulfills them. And He never, ever forgets what He said. God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should change. If He said it, He's going to do it. He's spoken it. He's going to make it good. Is that good news? So there are four covenants. Now let me talk about covenant a minute. Uh, we're not accustomed to covenants um, in, in Western culture, but Eastern culture covenants were common. Uh, a large group of people would make a covenant with a small group of people. And uh, a small nation would make a covenant with a large nation or perhaps in uh, equatorial Africa, a large tribe would cut a covenant with a small tribe. And the law, when you, when you cut covenant, you mingle blood and they're basically, it's a blood covenant and you're basically saying, the large tribe says, everything I have belongs to you and I'll be your protector. I'll be your confidant. I'll be everything that you need when your enemies attack. I'll be right by your side. I'll be right there with you in battle. And then the, the smaller tribe says the same thing. Well, everything that's ours belongs to you. And if, you, if your enemies come against you, we're right beside you. And when God, through Christ, 
the covenant with us. You know what he's saying? All of heaven is available to you. And when your enemies rise up against you, they'll flee seven ways because I am with you. Is that good news? And that's what Tasha was talking about tonight. So uh, anyway, it's kind of cool covenant. So the idea of covenant is really cool. There are four covenants that God has made in the earth and he's always thinking about these. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but when I say something, I'm pretty much a stickler to do what I say. And uh, it's rare that I don't. I'm human, so sometimes I might miss it. But generally, I, I remember what I say to someone and I follow through. God is specific. He is so, I mean, he's, he's so specific about doing what he said. So when he thinks covenant, he, he thinks in terms, I'm, I'm going to do this. And when God makes a covenant, it's an eternal thing. There are four eternal covenants that are at work right now in the earth. And when Jesus comes back, there will be a working out of all four of these covenants. You'll find this quite interesting. The first one is the Abrahamic covenant. Everybody say Abrahamic covenant. God made a, made a covenant with Abraham. We're going to read some passages to talk about that. Let me tell you why he did this. When After Adam sinned, a curse was placed on the soil. And God said to Adam and Eve, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to earn your, earn your living. And uh, your food's not going to be easy to obtain. You have to work for it. Thistles and briars and thorns are going to come out of the earth. And you're going to cut you and you're going to sweat. Life is going to be tough, and that's how the world has been ever since uh, we chose to sin. However, however, when God cut the covenant with Abraham, and, and let me also say that when Adam and Eve sinned, as I've mentioned on Sunday mornings, the, uh, the, the, over, the, the rulership of the earth was turned over to God's arch enemy, Satan, by default. And Satan became the little G, God of this world, God of this age, the prince of this world, principalities, powers rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, along with the curse, worked against us and makes life quite difficult, and all of us would agree with that. However, when God cut a covenant with Abraham, so to speak, he cut through the curse. He cut through all of the darkness, and God basically said through Abraham to every human being, he said to Abraham, Abraham, you obey me. His name was Abram, changed to Abraham. He said, you obey me, and guess what? Every person on earth is going to be blessed through you. And every person will be able to receive from me through you. It may be a dark world. It may be a cursed world. It may be a difficult world. But I'll make a way of escape for you through every event of life. Because you're in covenant with me. So here's what God said to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. That, that covenant still stands today. And we partake of the Abrahamic covenant as, as believers today. Is that cool? And you can bank on that. So Genesis 17, 1, God's reminding uh, Abraham of the covenant. When Abram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I'm almighty God, walk before me, be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face. God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall the name be called Abram, 
But your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. What kind of covenant? To be God to you and your descendants after you. So the Abrahamic covenant is an eternal covenant. That means, that means it's still in force. Even though, even though in Christ we are heir to the promises of God because of Jesus, God hasn't forgotten the Jewish race. And I talked about that a little bit the last time we spoke. Genesis 28, here are some of the terms of the covenant clearly spelled out. The first 14 verses, it will come to pass if you diligently vo- uh, obey the voice of the Lord your God to obey, uh, observe carefully all of his commands, what you command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now this was for Abraham, but how many know it's also for us in Christ. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 says, So that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So what I'm about to read belongs to you. When I do weddings, I read this because this is part of your inheritance in Christ. And I want to make it public for that brand new family. So God said to the Israelites and to Abraham, Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed will be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way. And flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in the storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he had sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the people of the earth will see that you're called by the name of the Lord. And they will be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and increase of your livestock, produce of your ground, the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give rain in your land in its seasons and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow and the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You shall be only above and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So uh, you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you to the right, to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. And as long as Israel kept the covenant, God blessed them. Now, you know what? There's still a blessing on the Jewish race. I've got several books in my, on my shelf and now on my iPad that talk about the Jewish race. They have more patents per capita than any nationality on earth. Did you know that? Uh, a lot of the things that you use today were made by a Jewish person. You'll be amazed. I don't have time to even go into it. God's blessing is on the natural race that came from Abraham, the Jews, and it's been there. And now because you're in Christ, you inherit that blessing. Yes or no? Is that good news? When you're going through a tough time, when you're in a hard place, just remind God, God, I'm going to give you all of me. That's the other part you got to give in you. 
And if you give him all of you and say, God, my stuff is yours, my ability is yours, my body is yours, my mind is yours, my emotions are yours to love other people with, my body is yours to help other people with, God, my, my whole being is yours, but, but I need some help right now. Then when you call on him, he's obligated by covenant to help you out. Now, you ought to be shouting louder than that. That's pretty cool, right? That's the Abrahamic covenant. It's in force and will be in force throughout eternity. And that was God's way of saying, devil, you know, you took the creation I made for humanity and kind of marred it for now. But you know what? I got a way of make, to make an inroad in there and I'm just going to do it. So we raised up Abram, the father of faith. Abraham, the first man to believe God. And it was counted to him for righteousness, Romans 4 says. And God made an inroad into the human race so that in the cursed place he could bless us. All because of the covenant he made with Abraham. Is that awesome? When Jesus comes back, there will be a continual fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant throughout all of eternity. Galatians 3.29 Now that you belong to Christ, you're true children of Abraham. You are heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to to you. I love that. Then second covenant, so you got the Abrahamic covenant and the second covenant that God cut is the Palestinian covenant. Everybody stay the Palestinian covenant. Now that one's really cool and, and you know, you're watching this play out in real time today. The Palestinian t covenant is where God promised Abraham and his family or his ancestry throughout eternity a parcel of land in the Middle East used to be called the land of Canaan it's where modern day Israel is today but its borders are much larger than modern day Israel and God promised that for eternity Israel would have that land and so uh, today you call them Zionists people that believe that the Jews belong in the land that they presently occupy, the world calls them Zionists. So they say, well, I'm not a Zionist. I'm an anti-Zionist. Well, if you're an anti-Zionist, then you're an anti-Bible person. And so if you don't believe that Israel belongs in that land, then you don't agree with the Bible. Sir, so if you're an if you're anti-Semitic, you don't, you don't like Jewish people. You don't like the people God loves. And there's a spirit behind this. It's called the spirit of Antichrist. Genesis 12, 5 through 7. This is the Palestinian covenant. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. I looked at terebinth tree. It's just a tree. It's just a tree. Nothing special about the tree. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. There he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Genesis 13, 14 through 17, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot is separated from him, lift up your eyes now. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see, I have given to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that a man could number the dust of the earth. Then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and width, for I give it to you. Genesis 15, 18. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt. Gives a little more definition. To the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, Canaanites, Gigashites, and the Jebusites, and all the ites. 
So well, they were they were the uh, the uh, heathen nations that lived in the land at the time. Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as in what kind of possession? Everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, the uncanny thing that we've watched 19, actually, November 1947, uh, there, was a, there was an agreement that was entered into with the United Nations, the League of Nations, that Israel could become a, 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 a nation again. And then that came in full force and was made public May of 1948. Israel became a nation. And for the first time, now that's an amazing thing. I have uh, over a dozen scriptures. One is Deuteronomy 30, the first five verses. Uh, it just reveals the fact that before Messiah returns, the people of God that have been scattered all over the earth as results of unbelief will come back into their own land. Y'all, I don't know if you realize, but um, uh, A.D. 70, uh, the emperor, Roman Emperor Titus fought against Jerusalem, defeated them, and the Jews scattered. And by 135 A.D., there was no one left in the land of Israel. The Jews had completely scattered uh, from the land of Egypt. They renamed it Palestinia because they wanted to blot the Jewish name off of the face of the earth. And from basically 70 uh, A.D. to 135 A.D. And then all of the succeeding years and generations and hundreds and hundreds of years, century after century after century, that land where Israel is now was nothing but a desolate uh, desert. Nothing would grow there. No crops would grow there. Even animals didn't like it. Mark Twain, in his writings in the 1800s, uh, he talked about how terrible the land of Israel looked. How would any human ever want to live there? 1916, 17, uh, uh, through, uh, through England, uh, uh, the Balfour Flower Declaration allowed Israelites to go back into uh, the land of Palestine, uh, we now know as Israel, and so the Jews begin to migrate from all over the world. After World War I, all the way through World War II, they migrated back to that desolate, barren place. And now literally what the scriptures said has been fulfilled. In our lifetime, the desert has blossomed like a rose. And per square inch, they probably grow more food than any nation on earth. It's an amazing place. I, I went to Israel in 2000. I've got to get back to my text in a minute. But in 2012, I went to Israel and I, I drove from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Uh, a lady took us and took us on a little tour. And it's just an amazing thing to see, to see where, the, where the Arabs live, the Palestinians, and then the Jews live over here. And they're separated. And I'm not kidding. And, and the guide told us, they see all these settlements here. And when you look to the left, it was completely brown. There was not one green substance there. I said, yes. He said, well, that's where the Arabs live. That's the Palestinians live there. She said, you notice over here, what do you see? I said, well, it's green. And y'all, lush vegetation as far as you could see, rolling hills with beautiful greenery everywhere. She said, that's Israel. That's the apple of God's eye. 
And, and this person wasn't even a Messianic Jew, but she understood that the blessings of God were on these people called the Israelites. How many hear me? So if you ever get a chance, maybe we can go with you. Would you like to go as a church to Israel? It'd be fun. Let me just say it's one of the safest places on earth is the land of Israel. You may not think so. One of the safest places. And when you get there, yes, you'll see guards with machine guns and you'll see the Palestinians with their red bandanas and you'll see the Israelites with their stuff. But you know what? You'll know that, that God's, God's in charge of the world. For God so loved the world. And let me tell you, God loves Israel. God loves Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter of planet Earth. He put all the land masses, somebody said, of the Earth together. Jerusalem is the very epicenter of the geographic epicenter of the Earth. Jerusalem is also the political epicenter of the Earth. It's also the religious epicenter of the Earth. The main three religions of the world started right there in Jerusalem. It's really quite interesting place, and and it's a it's a place. Uh, it's a place that's always, uh, always something going on there. The Antichrist is going to seek to split Jerusalem. And uh, <clears throat> so I can just encourage you now, pray for our government. Pray for whether you like our president or not. I don't really care. You should pray for him and not say one negative thing about him. How about the rest of you? Uh, we're commanded to. The things that we face are not, are not political, they're spiritual. Yes, they have political manifestations, but we're in a tremendously spiritual war. And uh, the enemy seeking to take over this planet and ruin this nation. How many hear me? Nonetheless, I do appreciate uh, Donald Trump in that he has recognized Israel. He's placed our embassy back in Jerusalem where it should be, where presidents in the past have promised it would go, but nobody had the political guts to do it. He did it because he didn't care what people think. So there's something to be said for that. And, uh, and he's also recognized the West Bank in Gaza, which Israel won uh, in their wars, 1967, 1973. And uh, those, those lands belong to Israel. And anybody that you read after that says they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. The spirit of Antichrist is going to try to move Israel off their land. The spirit of Antichrist is seeking to divide Jerusalem into East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem with the Arabs and then the Jews. Once that happens, whatever nation participates in that will not be blessed by God, but will be cursed. How many hear what I'm saying? So go read Zechariah chapter 12 because I've run out of time or I would read it. Go read the first three verses of Zechariah chapter 12. God said, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all of the nations of the earth. And anybody that tries to move it out of the way will be crushed by it. There's something about Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. It's the apple of God's eye. There's something about Jerusalem that God dearly, dearly loves. There's just something about that city. And uh, you can read the Psalms and their Psalms about the city of Jerusalem. So pray for Israel. The uh, end time events when Jesus comes back, a lot of it will center around what happens with Israel, what happens with Jerusalem. And that all has to do with the Palestinian covenant. So be on God's side and honor what God set in place with Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant. How many hear me? There are, there are voices in the church world today saying that the church has taken the place of Israel. And now we are real, the real Israel today. 
Uh, but that's not true. God made a covenant with Abraham and the natural seed that came from him, the Jewish race. God also made a covenant with Abraham about land that belonged to the natural race uh, called Israel. And it belongs there and it belongs to them. And nobody but nobody's going to take it away from them. And when necessary, Jesus will come back and defeat their enemies. That's the good news. Third covenant is the Davidic covenant. Everybody say Davidic covenant. That's a covenant that God made with David. God promised David, that his kingdom would be an eternal kingdom. Jesus is the direct descendant of King David. He will sit on the throne of Israel in Jerusalem for eternity. There's a brand new city of Jerusalem. Uh, Revelation 21 talks about 1,500 mile cube. High, deep, wide that will hover over natural Jerusalem on earth between heaven and earth. Can you imagine? And that's where you and I will live. God promised the natural descendants of Abraham that Jerusalem belonged to them. But guess what? You're grafted into God's family tree and you're going to live in Jerusalem for eternity. It's kind of cool. The Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build my house for my name, build a house for my name. I will establish his, the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. That certainly happened to David, didn't it? But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. One other verse I've got uh, gosh, about 10 more. Here's one. Psalm 89, my covenant will I not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever. His throne, watch, his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. So as long as the sun and moon endures, so long will the, will the Davidic covenant and, and an ancestor of David be on David's throne overseeing Israel. And that's us, the church, included as well for eternity. Is that exciting? The last covenant that I will mention tonight is the new covenant. That's where you and I come in because of the unbelief of the Jews. We were grafted into God's family tree and Jeremiah 31, I love this. This is where personal fellowship with God's people is restored. And that is, again, the new covenant. Jeremiah perhaps said it best, and I'll probably need to end with this, because the repetitions of this uh, uh, throughout the New Testament, the book of Hebrews uh, and such. Jeremiah 31 says this, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, and not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the days that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write it, that is, my laws on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The new covenant is where God gets personal with me and you. And he loves us just like he loved his own son. 
and he gives himself for us. How many are thankful for the new covenant? And see, the new covenant doesn't do away with the old covenant. It just adds to it, gives more definition to it, and includes everybody that wants to be into the natural family of God. Is that good news? So what you should take away from some, some teaching like this is this. We are all grafted into God's family because of the unbelief of the Jews. We now partake of the blessings that were formerly only for Abraham and his family. That's good news. Romans 2.29. He's not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he's a Jew one uh, who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not the letter. Whose praise is not from men, but of God. And I just mentioned earlier, Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it's written. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Is that good news? So so bottom line is this. God gave me this. He gave this to me, and later I read it in books, but he gave it to me first for me. I was reading reading the book of uh, Genesis, and I was reading about Joseph and his story, and I was reading about... about, uh, uh, Joseph bringing his family, his father and his family, in, hey, uh, bringing his father and the family in back into Egypt during the bad famines and such, and and uh, and and God placed them in the land of Goshen. And then when I went to the book of Exodus with the ten curses that Moses pronounced on the gods of the Egyptians, when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, "Let my people go," well, none of none of those terrible, terrible things that happened against the gods of the Egyptians and that happened to the Egyptian people. Not one of them touched the children of Israel because they lived in the land of Goshen. Several times, all the way from Exodus 3 to Exodus 10 or 11, it mentions that none of this came into the land of Goshen. And when I read that, I mean, God for me said it to me, Mitch, you live in the spiritual land of Goshen. I've established a place for you. And he's not just talking about me. You live in the land of Goshen. That's a specific place that God has placed his people. We live in the spiritual land of Goshen. A thousand may fall on our side, 10,000 at our right hand, but we have the promise of God that regardless of what happens in life, we God will make a way of escape for us. Is that good news? So the economy may fail. Cataclysmic events may come. The world may continue to deteriorate, but we can trust, trust the God of covenants that he will see us through. He'll make a way for us. Don't forget, you live in the land of Goshen. You have a covenant father. And he's made a covenant with you through his son Jesus. And everything that he has belongs to you. And he's going to take care of you until Jesus comes and takes you away.